Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and be with me. You're listening to Behold the Man. With your host, Joe McLean. This, this is Christ the King, whose shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him on, the babe, the son of Mary. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McElhaney. It's great to be back with you again this week. This week we're talking about, Out of Egypt I called my son. These words in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 2. It's a prophecy from the Old Testament. It recalls in our mind that episode of how the people of God came out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage after 430 years, led by the, 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 the great one, Moses, right? The one that they revered so much, the one that gave the law. Well, in this week's episode, as we study and look at Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see how a new Moses has come. A greater Moses is now given to us. This would be red flags to a first century Jew reading this gospel passage. And so let's let's hope and pray that we could bring it to life on today's episode. That intro song is What Child Is This by Wake Up Starlight. And you can find a link to their site as well as the show notes for this episode, Out of Egypt, I Called My Son, on my site at www.catholichack.com. Let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory and praise and honor be to you, Almighty God, as we come to sit at your feet to pay homage to the Christ child, who is born, who has come, who has condescended from heaven to take on flesh and walk in our shoes. Oh Lord, we thank you for this great gift, this infinite gift of grace. We pray that we can embrace it, to understand it, or at least try to. 
We pray to love as you love and to be merciful as you are merciful. And we ask that our hearts just be swallowed up in the heart of Christ, that we are lost in an ocean of love of the Lord God for all of humanity. We pray to become like him as we stare and adore at the infant child this Christmas season. We pray, Lord, in this holy season of prayer and song and laughter, we praise you for the great wonders you have sent us, for, sh for shining star and angel song, for infant's cry and lowly manger. We praise you for the word made flesh in a little child. We behold his glory and are bathed in its radiance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as I said this week, we're going to be diving deep on St. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 2. On the last episode, we looked at St. Uh, St. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 1, and the, the narrative there of the begottens, of the so-and-so uh, begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, that genealogy of Christ there, and how it was overwhelmingly Davidic, showing that this child to be born would be the son of David, an heir to the throne, the king of kings, right? The true king of the people. And uh, in chapter 2, we're going to see how that really has a very significant role to play, this identity of this mysterious child. Because it will threaten the current occupant to the throne in Jerusalem. So let's look at St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse starting in verse 1 there. Quote, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Unquote. Now a couple of points before we move on. Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Okay, do you, do you not see the significance of that? I mean, automatically, just knowing that the, that the very name of this tiny little town outside of Jerusalem means house of bread. Doesn't this make you think of John chapter 6, when our Lord tells us, I and the true bread come down from heaven? that he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall have life forever, that he is the bread that we must consume, the fruit of the womb hung on a tree, the fruit of that tree that we shall eat and have life forever. He is the, the new manna, this little child born in a town called the house of bread. His body is our new bread. It's, it's, it's just just significant. It's to me. It's like wow. No detail. No detail gets left behind. Every little thing we read in Scripture has great significance and means something, and we need to dive deep on it. And for me, anyway, maybe it's uh, overkill, but for me, that that is just like it's like the salt and pepper. It's the flavoring in your food. It it it's uh, it's just 
it makes it come alive, I guess. You know, Bethlehem is also the place where the lambs were raised in huge flocks. They were being bred and and tended tended for and cared for, being raised and prepared for the slaughter, for the sacrifice in the temple. So all the little lambs that, uh, that were sacrificed in the temple were actually raised here in Bethlehem by the shepherds. And so the shepherds we read about are tending the very lambs that would one day be offered back to God for the sins of the people. And here is, as John the Baptist would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose very flesh will become our bread, food for our life, that will invigorate our souls and become food for the journey. Truly his flesh to eat and consume, bread of life come down from heaven. The lamb who will be offered for our sins here in this same little tiny town. (laughs) Again, doesn't it make the gospel just dance and come alive? It's also the place, this little tiny town, Bethlehem, where King David, his forefather and his lineage, according to Matthew chapter 1 there, which we read last week, This is where David was born and and raised. This is where he was the good shepherd tending the flocks until he was called out by the prophet in 1 Samuel 16, and he was anointed the new Christ. Remember we talked about that word anointed, Messiah or Messiah or Christos in Greek. He is the new Christ, this David, right there in Bethlehem. His father, Jesse. That has also a very significant role to play in today's um, gospel reading. Now, we also see and hear about this King Herod, this King of the Jews, he's called. The King of the Jews. That's very significant because what is our Lord labeled on his uh, crucifix there? He's also labeled King of the Jews by Pontius Pilate. But our Lord is the true King. He is the true heir to the Davidic throne. Herod, however, was not. Herod was not even a Jew. He was an Edomite. Now, the Edomites, they uh, had some contention with the Jews. They lived close by, of course. But um, back in 163 BC, the Edomites were sort of conquered by, by John Hycarnus, and he actually forced them to convert to Judaism and assimilate them back into the people of Israel. So there was always this tension between the Edomites and the Jewish people. Well, in about 40 BC or so, the Roman um, Senate actually elected or, or or set up Herod, this Edomite, to be the king of, of the Jews there in Jerusalem. And about 37 BC, Herod took his throne, took power there in Jerusalem, and he ruled with an iron fist. Again, sort of a, a mocking of, of that prophecy we read about, even in Luke's gospel, and how the annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Our Lady talked about how her son would, would rule from the scepter, uh, you know, uh, coming from, from this prophecy, even at the end of Genesis, and also, uh, and also with David and his line, that the prophet we talked about last week. All of that would be mocked somewhat by, by Satan and by Herod. Herod was so mean and so ruthless and so unwavering that he actually killed his wife or one of his wives and three of his sons just because they were obedient and he felt threatened by them. So this was the kind of man he was. He was very much a type of antichrist in the world, for sure. Uh, sort of a, a Satan-like figure in the, in the reading, in the, in the story narrative. 
uh, seeking to destroy the true king, seeking to consume this child that, you know, very much rings true from Revelation 12. We see how Satan chases the woman, our lady, who's giving birth to the king, Messiah. And when he can't have him, he goes after the people. Well, Herod kind of does the same thing. And so we see uh, this very evil character in Herod, king of the Jews. Now, Herod is known for his spending projects. He, he actually had some pretty interesting innovations in building projects for the ancient world, but the one that he's most known for seems to be his renovation of the temple, which I'm sure was a bitter love-hate relationship with the priestly order because they probably enjoyed the nice new uh, furnishings in the temple, but at the same time didn't enjoy working with him all that much. Now, these wise men of the East that we read about, these are probably uh, Persian astrologers. And now, it's thought that they were actually looking for this rising star. They, they were probably very familiar with the prophecies of Daniel and others, because Daniel was in exile. He was a Jew in exile there in Babylon some 500 years before. Now, Daniel was from the line of David, at least some scholars believe he was, because as we looked at last week, in the Babylonian exile, the Babylonian king came and took away the the king and the king's mother and all of the royal family and, and some of the major players in the uh, aristocracy of the kingdom of, Ju- of Judea. And Daniel is believed to be in that mix. And so he was somebody who was upper layer in the in the society of the Jewish people. And he we read his prophecies, which we've done in the show in the past, uh, we see that he talks very specifically about when this Messiah would come, this this little stone that would be hewn from no human hand, that would become a great mountain and take over all the world in the fourth age. We've we talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, if we re- read in uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 528, we read, quote, In the Magi, representatives of the neighboring pagan religions, the gospel sees the first fruits of the nations who welcome the good news of salvation through the Incarnation. The Magi's coming to Jerusalem in order to pay homage to the King of the Jews shows that they seek in Israel, in the messianic light of the Star of David, the one who will be King of the nations. Their coming means that pagans can discover Jesus and worship him as Son of God and Savior of the world only by turning towards the Jews and receiving from them the messianic promise as contained in the Old Testament. Unquote. Now, we also read there in St. Matthew's Gospel, starting around verse 6, it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Um, Actually, before that, I wanted to mention this star. The star seems to come from a prophecy that uh, we read about from Balaam in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, quote, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not nigh. A star shall come forth out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Verse 18. Edom shall be disposed. Seir also his enemies shall be disposed, while Israel does valiantly. Unquote. <laughs> Did you catch that verse 18 there? Now this is the prophecy of the star the star that rises and from it you know comes this this hope 
this hope for the people, this scepter, okay, the promise of the king that will come and rule all the world. But notice in verse 18 that how Edom shall be disposed. This is the prophecy being told to King Herod by his uh, gathered entourage of priests and scribes who are telling him of the prophecies of the Messiah King, the baby to be born of the line of David, the scepter that we were promised, right? Edom shall be disposed. I- I'm sorry, back up there. What was that? Did you say Edom shall be disposed? Wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, let's see. I'm an Edomite and you're, you're the Edoms. Are, that's not good. That's not good. Already, this spells doom for the king. Herod is the kind of guy who is not going to uh, mess around. He is not going to allow contenders to the throne to hang out and sort of grow and and maybe gather an army or following or favor. He's just not going to put up with it. So he is going to do whatever he can do to locate this child and dispatch this child. If he can kill his own sons, he will have no problem killing a, a little child. And that's exactly what happens or what we read about in here in St. Matthew chapter 2. So that prophecy of the star spells doom for King Herod. Another uh, episode of doom for Herod is in that uh, that prophecy that I was reading there in verse 6 of St. Matthew chapter 2. O Bethlehem and you, O Bethlehem. Now this is a, a combined reference to uh, Micah 5.2 and 2 Samuel 5.2. In Micah 5.2, it's talking about the rise of the Messianic king from Bethlehem. And in 2 Samuel 5.2, it's the kingship of the Messianic king over the 12 tribes. So here again, these are references to how our Lord fulfills both the coming of the Messiah, who is to be king, but not only king, but king over the 12 tribes, bringing back the 12 tribes, because right now we only have uh, Judah. The other tribes were sort of lost. And so we have Judah coming back. We have the other Ephraim, the other tribes coming back, all under the same banner, all under the same Messianic king. And this is a prophecy that combines all of that to show how our Lord is the fulfillment of that prophecy, which again spells doom for Herod the Edomite. So Herod, again, not really in the mood to hear too much about some child being born who is going to uh, give him a run for his money. So let's continue on. Verse 7 of chapter 2, quote, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Now, a few things that are important there. The gifts, okay? Notice the the giving of the the gold and the silver for starters. This is very similar to Old Testament passages that we've we've looked at uh, in the past. This is similar to how the, the neighboring kingdoms 
came and brought tribute to King Solomon. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21, quote, Solomon ruled over the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life, unquote. You see, that was the rise of an empire. An empire is a kingdom above and over other kingdoms. And so we see the empire of the Jews under the kingship of Solomon, who was the, the prototype for the, the royal bridegroom who would marry all the people, which is completely fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 21. But King Solomon who is a wise man and who the the queen of Sheba comes to visit and pay homage and give gifts to, well, our Lord is much wiser than him, right? And so we see a fulfillment of this in our Lord here with the wise men giving the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But it's also evoking Isaiah chapter 60, uh, starting in verse 3, quote, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Does that sound like the star, by the way? Verse 4, lift up your eyes round about and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried in the arms. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Unquote. So in Isaiah 60, it's a sort of a prophecy of how these Gentile nations, these neighboring kingdoms shall come and pay tribute to God, giving him gifts like gold and frankincense. And it's the rising of the light, it's the rising of the star that sort of beckons them and brings them in. So this this is a, a very interesting uh image that we have here with a little tiny baby in a humble setting. Notice too, um, well, actually I'll get to that. I was going to get to the house versus manger thing, but let me, let me not get ahead of myself here. Golden frankincense and myrrh. Again, St. Irenaeus says, quote, the gifts of the Magi signify the mystery of Christ incarnate. Gold, a symbol of royalty, represents the kingship of Jesus. Frankincense used in worship of God points to his divinity. Myrrh, a burial ointment signifies the humanity of Christ, especially in his passion and death. Unquote. Now, also, myrrh has another significant use. It was used as an oil to anoint Levitical priests in the wilderness tabernacle. We read about that in Exodus chapter 30, verses 23 through 33. I think that's extremely significant. The whole image of gold, silver, and this myrrh this this oil used to anoint priests. It reminds me of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and St. Paul using the image of the temple, of the altar burning fire, burning up the, the sacrifice there with wood, straw, and the stubble, moving into the temple as we start to see the precious jewels and the silver. And then we move all the way into the temple, into the Holy of Holies where the purest of gold is. There, the high priest, the offers the, the sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, for the sins of all the people, the incensing of the, of the uh, 
Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. It's very priestly uh, imagery. But as we've talked about on the show in the past, that priestly imagery was specific to invoke the Garden of Eden because Adam was the first priest. He served in a, in a temple, but his Holy of Holies was the Garden of Eden and all of creation was the outer temple and the outer court. So this brings Jesus back through those imageries, those motifs, as some scholars like to say, of Adam and the high priest and the temple. And so I just think that's a very beautiful image of, of myrrh, not just of death and his impending sacrifice, which does come as the lamb there in Bethlehem, raised with all the other lambs offered for sacrifice. He is the perfect fulfillment of all of them. He really will be offered for the sins of all the people once and for all. Now, the star stopped over Bethlehem, as we are told in this narrative, and that's when the wise men entered the house. No longer a manger, okay, it seems to suggest a passage of time. They move from a manger into a house now. But the star passing uh, uh, and stopping over a town, that seems fanciful, I, I understand. But there is a, a person by the name of Frederick Larson who has done a show, a television show, called The Star of Bethlehem. And it airs every year on EWTN. And you can actually find a link to his site on my site under the show notes of this episode uh, at catholichack.com. And Mr. Larson actually shows how he goes back and you can actually study the movement of stars and the planets and everything in the sky because they're fixed in their rotations, they're fixed in their paths. You can go back in time and know exactly what the sky looked like on a, any date back in time. And he actually goes back and shows there was a, a very peculiar celestial phenomenon that occurred on a December 25th, you know, some 2,000 years ago. And he can actually talk about the date of the precise year and all of that when you check out his site and how he shows how a star actually did stop over Bethlehem. And, uh, and then it actually goes into retrograde motion, but it is very interesting what he shows. And I would really recommend you check that out again, stop by my website at catholichack.com. Look for the show notes, find the link to his site, Frederick Larson and the star of Bethlehem for more information on that. But notice also how they always show how Mary is connected with her son. Again, from last week, we talked about Mary being the Gibirah, the queen mother, Mary is connected with her, her kingly son because she is the queen mother. She is the Gibirah. This child is the new son of David. That makes Mary the new Bathsheba, the new queen mother. And as we said in the book of Kings, the, the sons of David who would inherit the throne were always listed with their mother, nine times out of ten anyway. So that's very particular and very important because it always shows Our Lady right there as the queen. And again, in the other uh, nativity narrative in Scripture, Revelation chapter 12, we see Our Lady crowned with 12 stars on her head as the queen of heaven and earth. So it should be nothing new. It's actually quite important. Now, was this child really God incarnate? Well, yes, of course he was. And... I think that's very important because the Magi worshipped him. The Magi worshipped him. Worshipped him. You don't worship somebody unless that somebody is considered a god, at least by you, right? So that I thought that was very significant, that this child, this little baby, is worshipped by these visitors from afar. 
visited by the the shepherds in the field after their visions of the angels singing glory to God in the highest, now from the lowest of Jewish society to the neighboring Gentiles and the pagans and the astrologers, they all come and they pay homage to this little tiny baby who is now God incarnate, taking on flesh, condescending himself to come down from heaven and to walk in your shoes, as they say. Very important. Now moving on to verse 12 of St. Matthew chapter 2. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. Now, because time is running out, I need to move on. Basically, St. Matthew is giving us a new Moses, a greater Moses, because like Moses, both were almost killed by tyrant kings. Like Moses, both were saved by family members. Like Moses, both found protection in Egypt. Like Moses, both returned to their birthplaces after exile. Like Moses, both spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the wilderness. Like Moses, both bring God's covenant law to his people. Jesus is is the new and greater prophet that even Moses said would come. He is the shoot from the stump of Jesse, our Savior incarnate. God bless you. From the Catholic Underground.